Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well. Hope you are having or wrapping up a good day. I sure do appreciate you joining me, giving me a little bit of your time. I know that you have other things you could be doing, but maybe it helps uh, helps wind your day down a little bit. <clears throat> well, I suppose depending on what part of the world you're in, it might be starting up your day. But at any rate, maybe it gives you something to sit around and listen to. I often think about how tied to the radio previous generations were and think about some of those times where they were sitting around listening to that radio for every drop of news that they could get and really the the family shows and the old the old radio shows they used to have so Maybe this is something that y'all can <clears throat> look forward to listening to, whatever part of the day it is. Not a lot to report on the homestead. It is getting a little cooler, which uh, I'm very grateful for. <laughs> so, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ, and your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the time to record this podcast, for the people that listen to it, share it, be with them, be with their families, guide them, bless them, keep them safe. Watch over our nation, Lord. Help us to turn back to you and your Son, Jesus Christ, to follow your commands, to seek you first, to trust you, even when things don't turn out exactly the way we want them to or think they should. And God, my words here, Father, please, in your Son's name we pray, amen. So we've been doing this little three-part series. It's going to be three-part this time on Churchill. This biography by William Manchester, I believe. And it, this middle book in the trilogy covers the 1920s and 30s of Churchill's life. <clears throat> and we've been talking about it particularly because there are so many parallels between the modern American left and the German citizens 
that supported the Nazis of the 20s and 30s. And at the same time, there's so many parallels between the a lot of the people that consider themselves patriot conservative in America today and the 1920s and early to mid 30s British citizens. And so you see a lot of the same evil tendencies in the first group uh, standing for those values that just are really evil. There's no other way. There's other ways to say it, but not truthfully, really. And then on the conservative, the patriot side, being kind of asleep at the wheel. So we're going to go back in and read a couple more quotes and talk about it a little bit. So this is Again, this is out of William Manchester's biography on Winston Churchill. It's a great book, a great series if you get a chance. Uh, it's a fascinating story just in the, in the way that the book was printed. And you can pick up a copy a lot of different places. They've got hardback, paperback. Uh, I would recommend it if you like biographies at all. Neville Chamberlain deplored Churchill's abuse of his talent, quote, to throw suspicion and doubts in the minds of other governments who have not expressed such feeling, end quote. He declared it England's duty to make every effort, exert every influence, and act as mediators to preserve the peace by reconciling estranged countries. The British government wanted to avoid all wars between nations because, and this was typical Churchillian true touch, they thereby destroy the possibility of markets for ourselves. Appeasement became evangelical. Indeed, for some, the line between foreign policy and religion became blurred. Thomas Jones denounced Van Start's hostility toward the Nazis. Baldwin commented, I've always said you were a Christian. Rage, wrote Margaret Asquith, the widow of the Prime Minister, should be met with Christian love. Quote, There's only one way of preserving peace in the world and getting rid of your enemy. And that is to come to some sort of agreement with him. And the viler he is, the more you must fight him with the opposite weapons than his. End quote. She concluded, the greatest enemy of mankind today is hate. We hear that a lot today, that same sentiment. You really hear it today when you think about think about how often we hear that, uh, particularly the Christians, following the commands of God, 
how hateful that is, right? It's hateful toward LGBTQ issues. It's hateful toward multiculturalism and other faiths, religions, peoples. And yet, there's, there's two real, one just a blatant lie, and that is, you can't be loving, encouraging someone to do something wrong. There's no possible way. You think about kids, or if you're a kid yourself, listen to the podcast. If, if you encourage a child, for example, to steal something, you're not being loving. If you, if you go up to a child and you encourage them to beat on another kid that's weaker or smaller than them, for example, right? For no reason, just because. You're not being loving. If you had a friend and you encouraged them to go steal from other people like rob a bank, to murder someone, we would never say those things are loving. You're not being loving, right? And so this idea that you can appease evil and that that's the loving route is just, it's just not true. And then on the other hand, so you hear all this about hate, right? And and, and the the blame is almost universally thrown in America on people of Christian faith. But you don't hear anything about the attacks on churches and Christians today in America, and even more so, really, both in, in any part of the world. And we just talked about this. We just, you know, we did a podcast on this recently for a few days. And, and the media which is controlled by the left, much like it was to a certain degree. It was controlled by the appeasers, certainly, in Britain during the 1920s and 30s. They downplay the violence of organizations that they're sympathetic toward, for whatever reason, because they like the narrative, right? Antifa, Black Lives Matter, those are both great examples And, and they downplay at the same time, they downplay the oppression and the suppression of Christians. When you think about it, folks, appeasement is almost always, in some fashion, selfish. It, it's certainly hurtful. And problem causing because what you're doing when you're trying to appease something is you are not standing up for something that you ought to be. And the reason can be it can be cowardice, uh, it can be indifference. You don't really care about the person, you just don't want to deal with the problem. It can be that there's some advantage to you for that person continuing to do wrong. But you know this in your own lives. You think about how hard it is to stand up and do 
the right thing. Whether you're in middle school or high school or college or an adult, regardless of age, it really doesn't matter. I think we get a little better with it over time. But it's hard when you see something in front of you that you know you ought to address, but you really don't want to. You don't want to be the bad guy. You don't want people to ostracize you. You know, you don't want them to shut you out. You don't want to be picked on yourself, which often is the case. You know, Churchill's a great example. A lone voice in the 20s and 30s calling out Hitler and the evil that was building. And what did he get for his troubles? He got mocked, laughed at. So much so that he was laughed out of a couple colleges and speeches in different places. And so this this idea of appeasement, you know, the left today in America, they talk about how hateful it is to not support transgender surgeries, LGBTQ lifestyles, men playing women's sports. They talk about how hurtful it is not to treat women exactly the same way we treat men as if they're the same, right? How hateful it is to force someone to stay in a marriage even though they made a vow to stay in that marriage that they don't want to because it's not fun anymore. How hurtful it is to have standards, universal standards for students in schools today and expect them to meet those standards. How hurtful it is not to give special treatment to individuals based on their skin color or their ethnicity, right? When the exact opposite of true is true, you, you really, if you want to be loving and caring, if you want to love your neighbors yourself, you don't encourage them to go down any of those paths. You walk beside them. You try and help steer them down the path of truth. But you, you certainly don't willingly walk with them down a dark path. And when you look at, at Christ's teachings, I'm always reminded of the, the incident where the leaders brought the woman that had been caught in the act of adultery. If you're familiar with the story, it's great. If you're not, uh, it's pretty easy to look up. And so they brought this woman and they wanted Jesus to condemn her to death, stoning her. That was the punishment in the law. And Jesus just sat there and said nothing for a little while, which is a pretty good lesson for some of us, myself included. And then when he finally did talk to her, he looked up and he looked around and he said, you know, woman, has no one condemned you? And she said, no, no one, sir. And he said, well, Neither do I then. And that's where a lot of people like to stop the story. They don't want to continue anymore. But the last little part of that story is Jesus told the woman, go and sin no more. 
And you've got to have a brain. You've got to be able to look at it and know, okay, well, that's that's impossible at face value. All of us sin. All of us fall short. And we're told that. So what did he mean? What was it likely he was telling this woman? Probably, maybe, to quit living a life that was sinful. To quit following a path that was evil, right? Britain wasn't a perfect society in the 1920s and 30s, far from it. And, and Germany wasn't a wholly evil society in the 1920s and 30s. The difference was that the Germans, the majority of them were following an evil path. And the Britons wanted to ignore it, and they did ignore it for a while, but eventually they looked and they said, no, we can't, we can't anymore. And you can make the same argument with the Americans. There's a lot more in this Manchester biography that's really good. It talks about how acceptable anti-Semitism was in the 20s and early 30s in Europe and and even in Britain. And it was kind uh, kind of like a badge of honor to... It was respectable to still Manchester's word. To you know, Jews they were a little different. And and they brought the problems on themselves. And so maybe Hitler wasn't you know, maybe he wasn't that bad. Maybe he was actually doing Europe a favor. And you see the same kind of mentality in, in the left when they talk about Black Lives Matter, Antifa, you know, the violence that's perpetrated in the name of racism or socialism, eh, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we ought to have a little bit more of that. Maybe it'd wake some of these hateful, intolerant Christians, predominantly white, male, up. At any rate, there's a little message. I know I'm over, folks, but, uh, this is the Saturday night installment, so we're going to end here. You know, when during World War II, when they were going into it, the world had a Christian America predominantly still. And they had a sleepy United Kingdom, Christian United Kingdom for that matter. Because those are the principles that really finally forced Britain to act were those principles of Christ when they finally woke up. And so the world had those two powers to turn to in the darkest days for leadership. Ask yourself right now in the world, and in America in particular, if you're here listening, where do we turn today? Where do we turn in the world if America silences her Christian citizens and erases her Christian heritage? What country can we look to today to step in and defend those who can't defend themselves and fight against evil? 
you know the answer. The answer is nowhere. Now, God can raise up another country to take our place. And maybe will. But they're not there right now. And it would be some dark times indeed. We're going to close here with uh, Lincoln. These are his closing remarks to uh, and his annual message to Congress in 1862. Fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. We of this Congress and this administration will be remembered in spite of ourselves. No personal significance or insignificance can spare one or another of us. The fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honor or dishonor to the latest generation. We say we are for the Union. The world will not forget that we say this. We know how to save the Union. The world knows we do know how to save it. We, even we here, hold the power and bear the responsibility in giving freedom to the slave. We assure freedom to the free. Honorable alike in what we give and what we preserve. We shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of earth. Other means may succeed. This could not fail. The way is plain, peaceful, generous, just. A way which, if followed, the world will forever applaud, and God must forever bless. We know what we have to do in principle, folks, and that is turn back to God. You can see the parallels between slavery and abortion. And you can see a lot of other parallels there in his speech. But that's what we have to do in our nation, in our public life, in our private life, in our education, in our institutions. We will nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of earth. If you get a chance, share the podcast with somebody. If you get a chance, subscribe to the extra episodes. It's $3 a month. You get all the extra episodes that we do. God bless y'all. God bless your families. God bless your marriages. God bless America. We'll talk to y'all again real soon, folks. Looking forward to it.